God wrote with his own hand. The second, um, the tablets needed to be made and then they need to be brought. So verse 1 says, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. Now write on them the words that are on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> There's a little bit of an indictment there, isn't there? You know, you broke them. I wrote them. Now, you do some work, and I'll, we'll do this again, but since you, since you couldn't control your anger. And then he presents himself, and verse 4 of Exodus 34 Moses does exactly what the Lord commands. And he goes up to Mount Sinai early in the morning. And he carries these stone tablets, which we would assume clearly that they are blank. And then the Lord comes down in a cloud and he he talks to Moses face to face. And, of course, Moses is looking on And in your handout, I'll read that the Lord passed before him, proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Now, from that particular scripture comes this concept of generational curses. And I want to declare a few of those here tonight and how, um, how they are broken. First, let me just say that there, there are ways to break a generational issue. The New, New Testament itself introduces the breaking of generational curses by the new man. And so there are remnants of these generational, and I'll call them issues, or conflicts. Uh, some of those conflicts, we could call them a curse, but, but um, I would present them in this day as Habits and traits, learned behavior or environmental uh, behaviors that have developed over time. So if by chance someone grew up in an environment where they speak a particular language, a slang language, um, or some off-colored words are commonly used, and then the next generation, and then the next generation, this could carry on for many, many generations, and, and it does. Um, these are habits that form. And so to break those uh, takes some work. And I'm, I offer this that the new birth experience and the blood of Jesus is more than enough to break all generational habits and issues. However, there are, there are common threads and common problems that do persist. And we have to pay attention to those so that we can change the family structure that's contrary to righteous living. So I have from time to time people questioning, is this a generational curse? Because my father was this way, am I... Am I naturally cursed? The answer to that is no. Because you're, you're baptized in the name of Jesus. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. The blood has been applied. You are a new creature. But that does not mean that your natural inclination has changed. Now, I know this is very difficult because we, we believe that we're a new creature. It should. But there are things that we have to flush out of our system And I think this is why Paul said, I die daily, because there are some things that take time to reform. So it's, 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 in this concept, it's a birth, but there's to relearn, um, maybe the thought process and to reconsider. So this is a very complex thought, and I, and I, and I'm going to tell you there's no way that I can 
finish that thought in our setting. So what I, but I do want you to know that there are a list of firsts that I offer to break any structure that you feel has been handed down from your family that's contrary to righteous living. First is the word, the word of God. The word is the manual. It is the, it is the roadmap. It is the guide. If you buy a new car or you buy an old one, you hope to have the manual to the car. It will speak to all of the, the engine, the parts, places, uh, that you need to know. It'll, the fuse box, it, it'll show you where the wires are supposed to be connected or how to operate the manual. The Bible is that book that guides us on how to change the structure of our lives, of our homes and of our families. So the first thing is the word. If you're going to be saved, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking after the new birth experience, you must be in the word. You have to stay in the word. Now that sounds simplistic, but that means that you have to carve out time on a daily basis to be in the word. It means you have to change the structure of your day. Now it's easier for me in the morning. It's, it's a lot easier if I'm up earlier, but maybe your, your schedule is different than mine. But it's very difficult to, in fact, I think it's counterintuitive to ask someone for counseling or to schedule counseling and try to have help with any issue in our life when we are not in the scripture. The Bible actually can rectify, restore, and answer the questions that we have. But because we're not in the word, we're seeking someone else's advice. And that could be dangerous if they're not giving the answer from the scripture. The Bible is your manual. If you want to break anything in your life, stay in the word. The word will lead you out of that generational family, whatever the issue has been. The second of the first is the principle. Principle living enables the success of the program. Now I'm going to talk about the program in a minute. But principle living. What are the principles that you live by? And those principles are, are the enablers of the program. Um, none of the programs for breaking any addiction work. None of them. I submit none of those programs work. Because they are all contingent upon the individual. Yes, the teacher can be great, but when all is said and done, it always resides with the recipient. Faith in programs is a very dangerous thing. Well, I, I, I've done this and I go here and I go there. Um, the rate at which uh, the, the, the criminal returns into the, into the court system has become uh, so high. Recidivism rate is like 75% now. People are going through club soda. They're going through rehabilitations years and years and years over and over and over again. Why do they keep going? Because it is their own heart and their own actions, not the program. I'm not poor mouth of the programs, but, but much has been given to particular programs or, and when I say programs, counseling, uh, uh, sessions, ideas, I have hard evidence that they fail, not because the material is insufficient, not because the instructor is inept, but because the student or the person who's in need must desire the change for change to come. If you want to change, you must desire the change for change to come. Let me just say it this way. If you want to change your life, sometimes you have to get radical to change your life. If you want a home change, you got to get radical to change your home. If you need a change, it may not come incrementally. It must come drastically. So how do we break a family issue? How are generational calamities formed? How can they be broken? How can idols and things which... When, when I speak of idols, I'm not talking about a little Buddha. I'm not talking about a, a, a stone carving or a, or a motif or a whatever. I'm talking about idols mean our priorities. Idols can be a boat... 
It can be an old truck. It can be an old car. It could be idols. It can be anything that you put in priority. You will not say that you worship them, but your time spent and your money spent and your attention spent is your worship. How are we doing? I'm jumping right into this deep end because we don't have time to, to tiptoe around these things. There has to be a break in the construct of our lives if we're going to have a change. And if you wait too long, it's hard to change. The longer you wait to change your lifestyle, the harder it is to have a change. Change your lifestyle. If we could put it this way, if you change your lifestyle when your daughter is two years old, it'll be a lot easier than if you wake up one day and she's 15 and you say, you know, we really need to change around here. Sorry, honey, you've let the clay set too hard and now you've ignored it for too long. So there, there are good, there are good processes. Yes, we love the process, but they only work if the recipient is willing. The recipient must be willing. This is why Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit has to say. Because there's always sermons and teachings and concepts and, and anointed teaching throughout the whole building and our campus and many places. But that does not change us unless we will receive the word and receive it and then apply it. Okay. The problem is that some people are just running for the next program or they're touting something. So, well, this really works. So this is great. I've got a lot. Well, well I've seen so many of these things and, and I always come back to this. It depends on the person. For one year, every week I taught at a, at a place here in this area. I taught. It was, it's, a, it's a rehabilitation place for one year, every week straight. In fact, it might have been a year and a half. And I got to know the men in that, in that facility very well. And, um, one of the guys was so good. He, he was, he was doing so good. And everyone said he has graduated from the program. Unfortunately, when he, the moment he left that facility and went back to his home, he got caught up in an affair and he committed suicide just a few months after he had graduated from the program. And so, uh, our hearts were broken when we found out what had happened. And, uh, he got involved in an affair and the woman didn't leave her husband after all. And when he figured it all out, it was too much for him to take. He was a, he was the premier A student graduate. And from, uh, at time and time again, there has to be a break of the chain that binds us. And when we put our faith in anything that men, that men make, and men can make things out of the scripture, well, this is what you do here. And then they're going to give you a, a program, a steps here. Wait a second. All of that is good. But as one elder used to preach, you have to have the want to. You have to have the desire to. And I submit you have to be radical. Here's number three. Personalities or personality presentations are not critical for groundbreaking. Let me just, let me help you with that. The charisma of the speaker is not necessary. The high charisma of a speaker is not necessary for you to make a change. And how many times have people been running after Tony Roberts or whoever out there? I don't know. They're running after someone who gives them a good motivational speech. And man, wasn't that wonderful. That's called living in the land of inspiration. And in- inspiration is wonderful. But if you live in that land and you don't have any application... Then you're, you are intoxicated with the personality. Personality presentations, although they're nice, it's good, but I've, I've seen this before where, where a lesson was given with not much information, maybe even minimal directives were offered, but the recipient, the recipient embraced it and their lives were changed forever. I'm going to go hear this person. I'm going to hear that person. I can't wait to hear that individual speak. Yes, but the person you may not be seeking might actually have a word that would change your life. Be careful. No one in this house is Jesus Christ. Be very careful before you, before you gravitate to a personality presentation. 
That does not break the yoke. The anointing breaks the yoke. And anointing is never man-made. God anoints people for his purpose and for a time. And he can move people up and take people out. He can move them side to side, up and down. Because it's always for his purpose. Okay, everybody still with me? Now the spirit is willing. The question is, are you willing? The spirit is willing. The question is, are we willing? Uh, Matthew 19. Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good, but, but one that's God. But here's the scripture. You can underline this. But if thou wilt... If you want to. And then in verse 21, Jesus said, if, if you will be perfect, if you like to, here's what you need to do. So look at this. This is the action of the person who hears the word from Jesus himself. But Jesus even submits, if you want to, if you will, if you want to have eternal life, keep the commandments. If you want to be perfect, I'll give give you some directives. Sell, give, follow me. So, in the construct of creation, we are the ones of all creation that's given the will. All, All ecology, all plant life, All are commanded to bow, to submit. All the animal kingdom, none of them have the will that we have. We are unique. We're made in his image. So we have the will. So it's, if you have the will, then you can. If you wilt, if you want to. If you want to. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. If you want To live righteous, you can. But you have to desire it. So if you want to break anything in your life, you can break it with the help of God. But there's there must be a desire to change. This has been written years ago. Weight loss is not about food. The writer said it's about what you think. There's not much reply on that, but... You know I will move on. This is James chapter 2. And I take it from the NIV. Someone will say you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without works. Or with faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. The devils believe. The demons believe. They're trembling. They're shuddering. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless or works without? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteousness for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Here's verse 26 from the King James. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You can say all the right things out of your mouth, all these wonderful words. But it's what you do that mirrors what you say that makes the difference. Faith, proclamations, without works, actions, it is dead. But I have a sad report that many people attend churches and have proclamations about what they believe, but there, but there are no works to follow up what they're, what they're saying they believe. So this is critical for us. If you're going to, if you're going to make any change in your life, if you're going to reform a habit, uh, you're going to have to work on that habit. You're going to work on the new you, the new you. Let me offer a few elements here for maybe our, our understanding. The first element is the working of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We begin there. We're always there. The Holy Spirit must draw us. If you're going to change your home, change your life, We need the working of the Holy Ghost. It's not a man-made thing. This is a working of the Holy Spirit. I rely upon him. There is a work for him to do in my life. 
Number two, it's the desire of my heart because I have to ask God for a new heart. Those are my desires. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Well, what things? What things will be added unto you? All these things. I would submit to to the congregation and to all the believers. Are you ready? When you begin to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the things that you once desired will change into the things that he can give you. So if you begin with with a bunch of desires that are really not godly, they're not in his will, and you're thinking, man, if I if I just do this, I'm gonna get all this stuff. I'm I'm gonna win here, I'm gonna I'm gonna succeed. Well, if you seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, or to do right the way he wants us to do right, according to his definition, for we know that all things work together. For good. Amen. That's not where it stops. For all things work together for good. To them that, here's two requirements. Love God and are called according to his purpose. Watch this. Love God. How do you love God? With all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You are enveloped loving God. You love God to the point you want to please him and not yourself. And who are called according to his purpose, not your own purpose. Your purpose, my purpose is contrary to his purpose. My will always battles his will. If Jesus in his flesh had to say, thy will be done, I also have to say, thy will be done. Are you with me here? Now watch, watch this, because there is a desire of the heart, but the heart has to be in alignment with the Lord. How do I break anything until I change the desire of my heart? Okay. Oh, years ago I preached the sermon. I think it's called The Eyes Have It. Uh, Abraham and his nephew Lot, they grew very wealthy. Lot removed himself from Abraham. Lot set up a tent. He pitched his tent, his front door opened up to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Every day he looked out and saw Sodom and Gomorrah. Every day. He wasn't living there. That's not where his residence was. Every day. He's looking at Sodom and Gomorrah and his eyes led him to his location. Every day. Desire of my heart is where I'm looking. I'm led by my vision. Now I might, you can quote the scripture, you know, we, don't, we walk by faith, not by sight. I'm going to tell you where you live. Our eyes, yes. This is why they put the cheesecake in the open glass containers when you're walking into the restaurant. You haven't even sat down. You already want dessert. Am I the only one? I'm thinking, man, why would I, why would I get a sandwich? Let's just go for the cheesecake right now. You pass it by. Why are they putting all that on display when you walk by? Because they want you to see it. Why would they have? I'm looking at menus. I love pictures in the menus. I want to look whatever the picture is. I like that picture. I don't want to just read it. Show me a picture of it. And then, of course, uh, most of the time I'm disappointed. This doesn't look like the picture that you showed me in the menu. However, whatever the image is, that's what I desire. The desire of my heart. How do I change the desire of my heart? I've got to look in a different location. Because if you're looking in the same location, you probably are not going to change your heart. Your desire is going to stay the same. How do you create a clean heart? How How can God do that? And how can you facilitate that in your own life. There's got to be something that changes in your life. If you're going to break anything, you have to change where you're looking. You're looking in the wrong place. There's a, there's so many verses in the scripture about looking toward the Lord or, 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 or just the covenant. Why, why would you make, why would he, why would Job say I made a covenant with my eyes? What is that? A covenant with your eyes, a covenant. It's a solemn oath, a promise. Why would you guard your vision? Especially today. Why would you guard your vision? Because your vision is leading your path. 
It's, 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 a, it's, it's leading where you're going. Um, number three, I, I have to move. Then it's the actions of me, the body, my, my physical body. I'm not talking about the church body. Here's, here's Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together. saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. I love that. Though they be red with crimson, they should be as wool. I love that. It's a, it's a declaration, but don't end there. In there, if ye be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you should be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So don't rest on verse 18. This is going to be wonderful. We're going to be clean. But then there are conditions. If you're willing, if you're obedient, you'll eat of it. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. But if you refuse and rebel, verse 20, Dismisses verse 18. If you are rebellious, how could you expect to be clean? If you're, if you refuse to be obedient to God, there, there, there is no remedy after that. There, there is no remedy. (laughs) This is is a very difficult thing for people to grasp because, because they, they, they parse out the scripture. Well, this, look at the scripture says, read the context. You have to be willing to change through a willing heart, an obedient heart, then you get to eat of the land. He's going to clean us. He's going to make us new. Whatever, whatever was is going to be, it's going to be brand new. However, there is something about my actions, what I do. It's critical what I do, what we do. There's a, there's a parable that the Lord spoke about two sons. The father went to the first son and said, would you work in my vineyard? And the first son, yes, dad, of course I'm going to work in your vineyard. I, I want to. But he never went. This is a, a wonderful thing. People employ this all the time. Will you be involved? I love to be involved. Will you pray? Yes, I'm going to pray for you. Are you going to be faithful? You know this is it, man. I love this. And then nothing. Because it's nice to say these words. These words are wonderful. Will you take out the trash? Yes. Will you wish wash the dishes? You know I'm doing it. That's my turn. I'm doing it. And then the next morning, there's nothing done. And then you have the other son who who says no, no, I'm not going to do it. But then he repents and he does the work. Mm-hmm. Well, now the, both of them have a problem. Okay, both of them have an issue. So I don't take much stock in the second one just because he did the work. It'd be nice if someone said yes, I'm going to do it, and then do it because there's an action behind what they say. So do you, do you want to break that thing that's happened in your life? That doubt, that skepticism? Would you like to break those inferiority complexes that have been passed down to you for all these years? There's something you have to do. There's actions that you have to do. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I've been made fun of all my life. I've been, I've been ridiculed all my life. Okay, so let's start brand new. By the working of the Holy Spirit, we're going to recreate the heart. What is it? My desire is I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm not going to be looking to that person or that person for approval. Because you might be looking at the wrong person. When you ought to be looking at Jesus, he's the one who redeemed you and sanctified you and made you new. But the problem is we're looking at everybody else wondering, can you affirm me? Am I okay? I know it's hard to get out of that. But if we don't start now, people look for approval from the wrong places. That's right. And then they don't obtain the approval the affirmation that they need. And finally, number four of these elements, I'm just giving you four elements and surely I'm not exhausting them. You might have many more. This is the reliance on the Lord and I call it the return because you begin with the Lord and you return to the Lord. Ten lepers came to Jesus. They needed to be healed and the Lord healed them He healed them all. But one returned and worshipped. And the Lord did not heal him. He had already done that work. The Lord sent him away and said, Be thou whole. There's a difference between being healed and being whole. Healed means I have no more disease, but I only have three fingers. (laughs) The leprosy took away two of them. But I'm healed. I don't have that disease anymore. But whole means that he brought back everything that I lost. You don't ever...
get out of the habit of returning for worship. In fact, in the middle of your plight to change your life, you you daily go back to worship and you say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life. You've healed me. Thank you, Lord. And during your worship and your praise, God will put back things that you lost because the Bible says he restores the years that the locusts have eaten. He can give you back time. He can give you back things you lost years ago. He wants to give you back confidence that that you lost way long ago. And he wants to give you back boldness that you maybe never even had. But he'll give you things you never have. Because he is in the business of healing. But when you worship, he is also in the business of making you whole. Amen. We have to break these chains. Because people live lives in, in, in a response to what happened in their past. People drive cars, live in homes, eat food, or won't eat food. I, I you know, why, why, don't, why won't you eat potatoes? Because my dad made me eat potatoes. Because my mother grounded me every time I didn't eat whatever. My, my greens. Or, or, or she told me I had to have fish. I hate fish now. So... So what? So now I don't even, I don't want anything to do with fish. I hate fish. I told my kids they can't have fish. Well, they like it. Yes, but they're not going to have it. Why? Because I don't, I don't want them to have it. Well, because I'm, I'm still angry at my, at, at my deceased mother. That's a, that's a stronghold, an issue that has to be broken. And what you have to do is you got to forgive. I'm going to get to that. You have to forgive. And then you have to move on. I'm not saying you have to go buy a bunch of salmon and cod. But there has to be something in your brain that, that clicks and say, that is a stronghold. I have got to break that issue. Because if you don't, you're handing it down to one generation, to another, to another. And there are, there are entire family traditions and traits that are being exercised today. And no one knows where they came from. But they came out of angst and hurt and pain. I say it's time. To break the chain. Well, why don't you worship? I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't do that. Did your father worship? Oh no, my dad, my dad, he folded his arms. Well, you know what? Break the chain. You don't have to be stoic. God did not call you to be a frozen chosen. It's time for you to break the chains. I'm talking to all the adults in this room. It's time for you to lead in worship, dancing, shouting, jumping, clapping. It's time for you. You, You're going to tell me that's not your personality? Get out of your personality. It's not about your personality. It's about the worth of your God. It's about the worth of your Savior. Is this what we do? This is what we do. We give our whole, whole, whole lives to the Lord. Now this is minimal, but there's many, many more things. Get out of that thing. You can be committed if you want to be committed. Amen. All right. This is what Jesus said. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, like glory in the infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So let me just say this, this little line, strength in weakness. I just wanted to point out in that scripture, strength in weakness. Your weakness is not a liability. It is God's opportunity. I, I'm not good in this. Yes, but God is going to, he's going to shine in that. He's going to shine in that. Go back to worship. He's going to shine in that. I'm moving quickly, but I think we should just know, at least in our, in our minds, that there are many issues in the lives of people that are not easily rectified. Uh, it does take a level of desire and, and, and maybe some cognitive um, response to change any habit. This is not in your handout, but but there are many addictions in this life that are not um, part of the of the tobacco or alcohol addictions. There are many other addictions in life. There are people in churches right now that that are that are so insecure that they have a great need to buy things every day because they're filling a void that the items cannot 
uh, fill, but they, it doesn't stop them. They're addicted to things. There are men that, that are struggling with the lack of affirmation that began way back in their childhood. And there are people of all ages that struggle with self-worth. And those things came from environment. It came from early conversations. Some of it came from a lack of love, lack of, lack of parental guidance, conversations. I'm, I'm reading about the deficits of conversations among parents to children. And the deficits are very glaring at the minimal time that fathers talk with their children. Mothers now, very, it's, it's more than their father, than the father, but mothers talk very little with their children. It's interesting to me that 30 minutes of time is now almost impossible for any family to sit down and have a conversation without a cell phone or a television on or music in the background. And as I start to read through this, these reports and, and this investigation, this has been going on for a long time. But what's happened is that we've relied upon other things to break up the monotony or the deadness, the silence among each other. So people regularly go to tables, restaurants and homes, but they do not have a conversation without their cell phone in hand. So the cell phone has become an addictive quality. In fact, there are people who actually have conversations with each other and other people sitting at the same table. I was just in a meeting the other day and, and men were at the meeting and three or four of the men were on their cell phones while a presentation was being made. And I'm going to tell you, those are professional men. But I was disturbed. And I thought, this is not the place to crack out that phone and to peruse through something. I thought it was a blemish on them. I thought it was a shame. <laughs> I'm not judgmental or anything, you know. I'm just... <laughs> it, it, this, this problem is the lack of communication... Uh, has reduced the quality communication. So that when we communicate, we're communicating over, over subjects that are, that lend itself to correction, instruction, directions, but never communion. How are you? How was your day? Tell me about your life. What do you think about that? How do you feel? What's happening? Now, Reagan is open. Allie will get to it pretty quickly. Um, Reagan's happy. Allie's suspect. Roman, I'm pulling it out of him. How's it going? Don't give me a one-word reply. Describe. How's your day? Good. That's the last word. I, I never want to hear good. Good. What does that mean? Describe. Unpack G-O-O-D for me. Because there's a lot of suitcases there. Did you, did, did, were, were, were you late for your appointment? Were you late for appointment? Roman says yes or no. Ali says it wasn't my fault. Reagan said, they're happy when I get there no matter what. Nico, his response is, why would I be late? Did you take that money? Why would I take it? <laughs> Never a real yes or no. I understand what they're saying. We're, now I have to, I don't even have, really have the gift of interpretation, but I've had to learn the gift of interpretation with my own family because I want to have a conversation. Let's have a conversation. How about this? You want an application? When you get out of your bedroom and you have to go somewhere, just know I'm at the table at 7.30 in the morning. I want you to get up a little early. Sit down with me and spend 10 minutes with me in conversation. Do not get up and run out of the house because you're, you're late for your appointment. Your father is waiting for you. 
<laughs> Why? Because if I'm not communicating with them, someone else is. Let me just tell everyone, there is never a void. I've learned this. I've learned it even in the hard way. There is never a void. Someone is speaking. Nothing. There's never a vacuum. There's someone is speaking. It's either me or it's someone else. And I don't trust them. I don't know who them are. But I, don't, I ain't putting my trust in them. Not their friends. Not somebody they work with. Not somebody to go to school with. Not even a good hearted person. I'm their father. I want to speak to them. When you don't spend time with God, someone else is going to speak to you. They might have good intentions and give you the wrong direction. Let the Lord speak to you. You've got to make time for him to talk to you. Amen. And we need to make time for one another. How do we break anything in our lives if we're not communicating? So when there's a bad relationship, guess what people do? They watch a movie. When there's a bad relationship, what do people do? They have entertainment. When there's a bad relationship, what do people do? They don't look at each other when they talk or they always have to have someone else around to fill the void of the conversation. We are relational beings. If I'm going to break anything in my life, I, ha- I must have a conversation with people that can help me. And I must listen and communicate. Communion. Okay, you ready to move on? Oh, Applications. Here, this is a little application. You want to break something? Here's, a, here's where you start. It's called, it's called acknowledgement. To admit and reveal the issue. First, you acknowledge. I have a problem. This is my issue. Now, if you don't think you have any issues or any problems, this is the first problem. I'm without a problem. I have no problems. Well, then we'll identify that issue as pride. <laughs> then your issue is pride. <laughs> Your issue is cloaking because you don't want to be revealed. On a scale of 1 to 10, how good do you feel about yourself? 10. That means don't talk to me. Confess, the Bible says, your faults one to another. Ooh, that's hard. Why would we not do that? Because we don't trust each other. And we have good reason not to trust each other. Because you say one thing to one person. And then they say something to someone else about what you said. How about we get back to trust? We should be able to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. Now we rely upon the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but we, we forgot the first part of that scripture. A, James 5.16a is in conjunction with James 5.16b. The effectual fervent prayer is going to do damage To the issue that is the fault. It's going to rectify the fault. There's going to be healing so that you're not caught in the fault. Amen. But we we have to start with this. How about honesty, trustworthiness in the church? How is it that the world has all these things going for them but the church does not? You get the secular world going. You know what they do? They get a job. They pull all their friends up. Here, I'm the president. I'm going to make you the VP. I'm going to make you the general manager. We get in the church and we get some place and we say, oh, we're not trusting you. You can't be as good as me. Wait, we ought to be pulling each other up. We got to lift one other up. And if there's a fault, the Bible says if you're spiritual, restore someone in your spirit of meekness and consider yourself. But that doesn't always happen. And this is why we have to talk about it because there are addictions in this house and not all the addictions are tobacco addictions and there are chains and there are generational family issues that we've been dealing with in your family. I'm going to just and I don't want to be preachery here, but it's long enough. It's time for you to get rid of that junk in your life. The fear that you deal with every day. That was not of God. Do you know that there are people in churches that are afraid to go to hell? Their fear. Their whole walk with God is living out of fear. You know what their whole thing is? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Lord, don't let me go to hell. I don't want to go to hell either. But that's not my first prayer. My first prayer is I want to get to heaven. I want to live for the Lord. It's I'm, I'm trying to focus on where I'm going. I'm getting to heaven. I'm loving the Lord. I'm not, I don't want to live my life out of, of, out of fear of God's punishment. But people are conditioned, and this is a problem. And the problem is that, is that 
there's going to come other people that are going to say, yeah, I don't want to live out of fear. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to remove myself from the church. See, if it's not about heaven, what's the point? We're living for the reward. I'm living for the reward. I'm not living to escape, just escape. Yes, I'm going to escape. But if I get the reward by virtue of the reward, which is a, which is a crown of, of glory, which is a robe, which is a, which is a mansion by virtue of the reward, it exempts me from, from judgment. Amen. So you first you acknowledge, can you acknowledge I've got this issue? I've got a problem. I've got a deficit and now I'm going to fix it because it's not enough just to acknowledge. Now there are people who love to acknowledge their issues. That's what they do. They start by acknowledging it and they keep acknowledging it. They tell everybody this, I got a problem. It's never about fixing it. It's about sharing what's wrong with them and how they came to be. This is not a process um, of just acknowledgement. Amen. This is the process of breaking the chain. After you acknowledge, there has to be repentance. It means to turn away from the matter. It is an about face. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, that means you stop doing what you used to do. And then you keep all the statutes and do that which is lawful and right. He will live. He will not die. He will live. He will not die. Every time I hit my finger with this hammer, it hurts. Stop hitting your finger with the hammer. Every time I walk down that road, I fall into this pit. Find a new road to walk in. Every time I go, every time I bend over like that, my back hurts. Stop bending over. Get you one of those squeezy things, you know, like the extension hand. Just you know, do that. Go to the doctor, go to the chiropractor, but don't, stop doing that thing. Every time I go with those people, I leave feeling bad. They're always gossiping about the church. Stop going to dinner with them. Well, I don't know if I can. Well, well, then, well, then just keep feeling bad. Keep being poisoned. Keep being corrupted. And pretty soon you won't be sitting in this house. There's a coming a day if you keep going down the road you're going on and you're being corrupted and you're questioning every time you leave. You're questioning, is it right? Is God true? Is this the right doctrine? You will leave the doctrine because you're walking down the road that corrupts the gospel. Amen. And so you've got to repent or turn away. It's If I want to break free from something, I say I've got an issue. And now I've got to repent. And repenting is not saying, I'm sorry. Repenting means an about face. I used to be pointing this way, and now I'm pointing that way. And all you have to do is make an about face. And now your your position, your location may not have changed, but your direction changed. So I'm not always concerned about location of people. I am concerned about your direction. Because someone could be really far along in Christ, but they turn the wrong way. And someone could be starting out, but they're heading the right way. And the one who's this far has all this knowledge. You're, you're not doing very well because you turned away from the foundation that was taught to you and given to you. And you're turning the wrong way. Yeah, you have a lot of knowledge. Yes, you know about a lot about the Lord. And you know the things about God. This person knows almost nothing about the Lord, but they're heading in the right direction. You have to repent. Do you know that when you're offended and you're wounded and hurt, you're scorned and rejected, that the way to get out of that is to forgive? And watch this. You forgive them and you repent before God. Why do I have to repent? They hurt me. There's the parable. Jesus is trying to make this clear that this servant owed his master, can we just say, thousands and thousands of dollars. And the master forgave him. But that man that was forgiven went to his brother that owed him just a couple of, let's say, pennies. And he looked at him and demanded repayment. But because the man could not pay the pennies, by law, he was able to put that man into prison. But then the main master came back to find out that the forgiven servant had imprisoned the lowly man. And what happened was the main master reinstituted 
the payment, the debt of the man in the middle. Uh Uh-oh. When you fail to forgive, you go fishing for your own past infractions. No one can pull your sins out but you. And now, if I'm reading the Bible right, you become liable. See, when someone hurts me and wounds me, not only do I forgive them, but I repent. God, forgive me of having those feelings because I know you died on the cross and forgave me of my sin, restored my soul. Forgive me. I have to repent and I have to forgive. And when I do that, I have to keep doing it over and over. If I do that, I I know this is the process by which I can be restored because I've got to break that chain. Amen. And all the people said amen. This this is very deep and, and I, some of you are already exercising this in your life and I'm very thankful because we've covered some of this before but we always need to cover it. And and then finally, and thirdly, there's a reconstruction. Uh, it's the, the reorder to daily life. Order my steps in your word. How about a reconstruction of your life? How about a reconstruction? How about reordering your life, your time? Reorder your life. How about your priorities? Are you in debt? Then reorder. Consolidate all of that maybe in, a, in, in one and then cut up all of those credit cards. Reorder. Don't buy the expensive things. <laughs> Go on a spending freeze. Reorder. Let's just stay in this vein. Fix it. Repair it. I know you want a new pair of shoes, but... Shoe polish is cheap. That's what I've done. My dad always polished his shoes. I started polishing shoes for years. Got a shoe tree, polished his shoes. I I kept shoes for a long, long time. Why? Why would you do that? Because I want to have a reconstruction. I want to reconstruct my life. You have to, you have to want to do that. It it, it takes a little bit of, of, of desire and it takes some Brain power, but you have to reconstruct where I'm at. I want to order things, put things in order in your home, in your car, in your business, in your money, in your time. Order your life correctly. Be in order. Let everything be done decently and in order. Surely that's not just about the church. That's about our lives too. If I'm not in order, I cannot get anything done. When you are out of order, that means you're in chaos. And a disorderly life brings stress. It brings burden. Disorder also costs more money because you already have a measuring tape. But now you've got 15 of them because you're so out of order you can't find them. (laughs) Can I just throw my dad under the bus here for a moment? How many things he's bought that he already has we found them dad what do you have those well i didn't know where that one was lost that one you you boys found it all there it is we're lining up 11 11 measuring tapes it costs a lot of money to be out of order let me tell you it costs a lot of money and a lot of stress and a lot of heartache when you're not in order Mm -hmm. and then finally accountable if you want the application you have to be accountable that means that you have to submit yourself to an explanation. You have to be accountable. Why, do, why, aren't people, why, why aren't people accountable? Because they like the anonymity. Because they're autonomous. And an autonomous person is a very dangerous person. Do you not give an account where you are? Does no one know where you go? I want to know. Where, where are you, Tammy? I want to know where you are. Now, she doesn't really have to give an account because I can track her from a little app. Plus, I already know she opened up another savings account or something at TJ Maxx. How many of those can you get? So how was your day of shopping? <laughs> okay, here's where I'm at. Here's what's going on. These should be normal things in our lives to be accountable. We should be accountable to one another. If you're going to go on a vacation, you don't necessarily have to tell me, but tell tell someone in the church, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be gone for a week. I'm going somewhere. 
This is just accountability. Why? Why would we not say that? Because we don't want anyone to know our business. This is why people won't write down, I commit on a card. Because I don't want anyone knowing my business. No, it's not true. Because you don't want to be accountable. And not being accountable means you're not subject to anyone looking over your shoulder. The problem with that is the Bible says submit yourselves to those who have the rule over you. Submit yourselves to your elder. Here it is. Yea, all of you be subject to one another. How about that? Can you be subject to one another? You know what that takes? A cloth, a garment called humility. Be clothed with humility for God is going to resist everybody who's proud and he's going to give grace to people that are humble. If there's anybody who needs grace, raise your hand. We need grace. If you don't need grace, then don't submit. Don't be subject to one another. But just know God will resist you because God sees the unsubject, unsubmissive person as the proud person. No one's going to tell me what to do. Now, I, I, I made mistakes, made a lot of mistakes. And years ago, I, I was, you know, I'd say things like, uh, well, we, you already voted on me one time, and there's not another vote. And God convicted me one day because people vote on me every Sunday because people vote with their feet. You may not cast a ballot, but people are voting every Sunday. You know, I, I would, and I kind of balked at the Baptist guy. He had to be, he had to be reelected every year. In some of the Baptist churches, the pastor has to be elected every year. They're elected for the next year. And he doesn't know. One of the, one of my Baptist friends said, you know, it's kind of, it's nerve wracking. He said, you know, I really can't deal with issues in, in the church because, I, you know, my whole ministry is on the line every year. Well, you know, I kind of balked at that and, you know, kind of sneered at that until I woke up one day and I realized people are voting on me every day. So to, for me to be purposely offensive and angry and like a little angry elf up here, you know, ranting and hitting the pulpit and, 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 and all that stuff, people are going to vote next Sunday and say, well, I don't like that guy. I'm not coming back. I don't really like you. I don't like how you handle that. And so there's accountability. I have to be accountable for my actions and what I do because if I don't, there's, 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 there is a response to that, right? There's a response to that. I have to be accountable to God and be accountable to everyone around me. So if I'm going to break anything, I got to be accountable. Amen. And now I'm just going to deal with a little bit of groundbreaking. And Lord knows that, that this subject is far greater than, than, our, than our allotted time. How would, how would I break ground and, and break chains and break addictions? And how would I do that? These are a few things that I've found over the years. The first one is a concept called flooding. Flooding. To flood is to consume the aforementioned dry land. It's a flood is an uncommon thing. It just covers everything. So that means if I'm going to break something, I'm going to read the right material. I'm going to be listening to the right voices. And I'm going to spend time. But I'm going to spend my time wisely. So the person who has an issue... Uh, especially people who have issues with pornography, men and women. If you want to break that, part of that process is to flood. Always busy, always reading scripture, reading good books, reading good materials, always listening to good things and spending your time wisely so there's no real downtime. You know, depression often happens in, in the lives of people because they've got a lot of time to rehearse. Anger comes because there's a lot of time to rehearse. They're not filling their time with good things in their life. They're not talking to the right people. They're not listening to the right voices. They're not reading the scripture. So part of it, if you want to do something new, there's a process called flooding. And to flood means, to mean, that means that, is that when you calculate when that when that downtime is going to be and you put something in its place. The next is movement. This is a physical change or a geographical location, movement. Get radical. Get radical. We've, we've seen this happen. A neighborhood, a bad neighborhood, a place where someone lives next door or something and you're in angst and you're fearful and there's all kinds of, all kinds of trouble and you say, well, I, I don't know about, you know, well, wait a second, move. 
move. You know, sitting in a room uh, years ago, the teacher said to a student who was always at odds with the student right next to them, move, sit on that side. <laughs> sit on that side. It didn't solve everything, but, but the movement, the geographical change for the moment uh, did not result in a conflict. They were too far away. This is important for us to realize that, that we put ourselves in a position, often put ourselves in a position where we justify ourselves at the same time we are conflicted. I work for a boss who, who, who is profane. There's people that say I work for a boss who's profane. One man said the things that he went through, it was horrible. Why did you stay there? Well, just because it was a job. Well, we'll find another job. Yes, but it doesn't make as much money. Well, your brain won't be corrupted. Every time my children go to that house or my daughter goes there or my son goes there. Well, what happens? Well, they come back and they've got all this junk. Well, then make a physical location. They cannot be in that atmosphere. Well, we like for them to visit. Yes, but they don't believe in God and they're filling your children with, with, with things that are anti-Christ. There's a location problem. Don't trust yourself. You cannot always be in the midst of temptation. It doesn't matter how good your heart is. David was not, not, his heart wasn't good enough, great enough, or sincere enough to get away from Bathsheba. His location was a problem that day. Now, I know there was other issues. But when kings go out to war and out to battle, that's him. He stayed, he, the Bible says he tarried in Jerusalem. He should have been on the battlefield. Had he been on the battlefield fighting for his life and his nation, he would not have been on top of the palace looking over and finding Bathsheba. She be taking a bath. And, and, Samson was the strongest man, but he could not resist. He put himself in the wrong location time and time and time again. What location was that? He put his head on the lap of Delilah and had his head not been there, his hair would not have come off. And Solomon put himself in the worst location because his location was always another temple and another wife, another concubine. He was not wise enough or smart enough because your location has to change. You want to have freedom from the things that, 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 that bind you up? Mm-hmm. There's got to be some movement. Otherwise, you're just that person who confesses, I got a problem. Here's removing, here's letter C, removing That's intentional and deliberately making the temptation inaccessible or unavailable. You just remove it. You remove it from your house. There are things you need to remove from your life. Remove them. Remove it. You got a temptation? Remove it. Just just remove it. You You have a temptation drinking? Don't buy cooking wine. Remove it. It these are things what do you have a temptation with? Whatever the temptation is, remove it from your, from your life. If you really want to break the chains. The next one down, I'm sorry. Did you get that? Okay. Letter D is imprinting. This is wonderful. The church, the church has the best path for this. It's exampling, following the example, example through careful observation. Of the attitude, actions, and language of someone else. Someone who is stable. Someone who is consistent in the body of Christ. Look around. There's wonderful mothers in the Lord here. There's wonderful fathers in the Lord here. There's wonderful men and women here. Find someone that's, that's, that's doing good and say, you know what? I, I like that trait. I want to learn that. I like how they're doing that. I want to do that. This is an imprint. To imprint. You have to be very, very careful. There's imprintation going on all the time. People are, people are, are, are following the wrong folks. And so I would say, if you want to change something, here are a few ways to change it. And finally, this is the big word that I just spoke about. It's called submission. It's exercising the attitude of submission to godly authority. And so let me just put it succinctly here. It's obeying what you just heard. 
It's not my personal response to you one-on-one. No. That's a rarity here. It is following the word. See, when someone is standing here preaching or teaching or in a classroom and they're delivering the word of God, there is godly authority being presented. Follow the godly authority that was just handed to you. Because it has to come from God anyway. Right? So I want to break these chains. I want to break that yoke. I want to change something in my life. Okay? Here is what you have to do. Submit your will and say, I'm going to make a change. Amen. Amen. Now, all that I've just said, you have to go back and rehearse. You're not going to consume this with a one-off. So it'll be posted. So sit down and with the podcast and go through it again. And when you're done going through that, then apply. Then apply what you know. Amen. And all the people said amen.